Matt Allen, NRCS, Natural Resources Conservation Service Resource Conservationist and Iowa CRP Manager. This is the Prairie Farm Podcast. I remember I was in like fourth or fifth grade. And which my, time? Which time? I was only in fourth or fifth grade <laughs> once. <laughs> Your favorite time. <laughs> I repeated every class, every single one. Nick is actually 47. <laughs> <laughs> Just graduated college. No, Kent, I was in fourth or fifth grade, and uh, my stepdad was selling uh, all of his Seidowitz Grama to this one company. He had to put it on this giant uh, truck that we had. We had this like flatbed car hauler where the whole bed comes back, and you can winch up a car. It's a huge, huge thing, and we had to... Uh, we had to put thousands and thousands of pounds of Seidel's grandma on that and then on a trailer behind it. And I remember helping with that, just stacking bag after bag of Seidel's grandma. <laughs> because uh, when dad was first starting, probably the first two full decades of him growing prairie grass, he just wholesaled it to other companies. Hmm. Totally fine. We do that still a little bit now. And, and we uh, we buy from, from other people like that. So, uh, But it started to make a difference when my stepdad started to sell the seed specifically as CRP mixes. I remember the very first CRP mix that he planted, I believe is first or like the first year that he did it. The, the mix entailed two species, round-headed bush clover and big blue stem. And that was it. And he planted like, <laughs> like awesome. 50 acres of just big blue stem <laughs> and round-headed bush clover. And, uh, and actually, it was a pretty big deal for our family when he found out he could sell it directly because uh, it it uh, really helped us out financially. It helped his morale in growing this, these things. And sure. uh, it, yeah, it was just a big deal all all the way around. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade when we when we started doing that. And, and then <laughs> instead of helping him load all of the seed, I remember in the winter, right about now, actually, as winter's coming in early November and in the spring, I helped him mix. And back then we didn't have a big old mixer. So we dumped 200 pounds of big blue stem and a hundred pounds of Indian. And we dumped it all on the ground and then we shoveled it over and over again for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and so, um, but yes, we are talking about CRP today. Uh, and not only has it changed our lives, it has helped change Iowa landscape. And today we are privileged to have Matt Allen, who is, and, and help me get this correctly, you are the head of Iowa CRP. Is that correct? So I'm the Iowa CRP manager. Manager. Yep. Manager. I guess that's a better way. You, you're yeah, not like the lording over it. No, just, no, that's right. I'm in charge of all the no, CRP. No. Man, so what does that entail on like a, I would say day to day, but I guess for you it's more year to year is kind of how things go. Yeah, so um, really I'm learning as I go because I actually started just in July. And oh, okay. so um, I've been with NRCS since 2013. And what were you doing before? So I, uh, I'm i going to start back in high school, I guess. Yeah, yeah I that's graduated good. graduated high school in, uh, uh, from Logan, Magnolia, which is in western Iowa, north of Council Bluffs, probably 30 okay. minutes. Yep. And What's the size of the town? 1,500. Did you have a subway? No, of course not. No, of course not. <laughs> My goodness, we didn't even have a Casey's. That is small. It's still wow. no Casey's. There no used to be. Casey's. There used to be, and then um, before we even moved there, and then wow. I, it went away and never wow. was shown up. So God yeah, bless that's, that. That town. tells you something <laughs> yeah. right there, man. I hope there's not a Casey's <laughs> or a Subway. Where do you get pizza? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I graduated there, um, 
in uh, 2002 and um, went to Iowa State, graduated with an animal ecology degree um, and a wildlife emphasis. I didn't really, you know, going into college, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I liked the outdoors. I hunted fish things. I didn't want sure. to sit inside all the time, which is kind of ironic because that's kind of what I do now. But, um, <laughs> and so during college, I worked two summers for the Iowa DNR, um, as a natural resource aide, um, doing all the fun stuff, planting, you know, planting natives, cutting trees, you know, that, that type of stuff. And, um, really enjoyed that. Um, and after I graduated, I, I started back up with the NRCS, um, as a natural resource aide. And then eventually I got a, uh, position with AmeriCorps, um, in the same location, kind of doing the same stuff. Um, then a position came up with, um, with the DNR, but in, in Logan, where I graduated as a private lands wildlife specialist and, the funny thing is, is that position was in the NRCS office, which was actually the first time I was exposed to the NRCS as far as like, sure. I'm sure I'd heard of it maybe, you know, in college or whatever, but it's like, it never stuck. Well, that, that was the and first. That's a good point because I think a lot of people, they only think, oh, DNR is the only state yep. agency that works with our natural resources. But there's, there's several. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have, like you said, the NRCS, soil and water. Um, I think every does every county have a soil and water yep. commission? Yep, that's there? right. So there's a soil and water conservation district in every county. Um, there's obviously 99 counties, but there's 100 districts because Pottawatomie County is actually split into two. Oh, really? And so there's actually two NRCS offices and two conserva- hmm. soil and water conservation districts. Interesting fact. I think that's like one of only five in the whole country. That's um, split? That's, that's yeah, split. That's cool. Is it because there's so much farm ground there? It's or? so big. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. And number of producers and number of, sure. of acres. I don't know exactly why. I would, split, if I was but. a betting man, I would have guessed Kasuth County. And, and that's interesting. Like, yeah, that thing's that's I huge ends up, If you look at a county map, <laughs> we end up with 99 counties. Yep. And up at the top, there's this giant county <laughs> that very, very easily could have been split across the middle. Yep. And we would have had a nice even 100 that's counties. Right. Someone had a chip on their shoulder. Like, <laughs> we will right. not be. Or they were told, hey, divide this up evenly to 99. And you know how like when you're writing like happy birthday or something and you never fill out the card correctly. <laughs> so at the end, you had to draw really small. But this time they had way too much land. Like, <laughs> Well, I guess this one will be called Sue. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, no, that's interesting. And then also FSA offices too, right? Yeah. yeah. And and generally each county has an FSA and our NRCS office that are joint or shared mm-hmm. okay. in the same sure. building. But there are a couple that have been closed really? down. Yep. In Iowa. That have been closed down? Yeah. So the county only has like NRCS. So that, the okay. FSA or producers that have their records with FSA have to choose like a surrounding county. What in the world is the practical difference of FSA? Because with NRCS, we deal with the NRCS before it gets planted. And then we help farmers or landowners plant their CRP. And then all of a sudden we don't talk to anyone from the NRCS. We are all of a sudden talking to people from the FSA. Yeah. Well, why, why, why yeah. can't it be combined? I so, guess? so the, when it comes to CRP, um, as you've mentioned, FSA and NRCS are, are two different agencies, and we do different things. So FSA administers CRP. So they, they handle the contracts. They make the contracts. They do cost share payments. They do annual payments. 
um, and that type of stuff. NRCS comes in on the technical side. So it's actually an FSA program, but NRCS helps with the technical stuff, what to plant, where to plant, how to plant, how to manage it, you know, are there tree issues, you know, how to do those things. And so Mm -hmm. that's where we come in into play. We are the technical side of, of CRP and NRC, or I'm sorry, FSA is the, the kind of the, um, managers it's their program and so that's kind of why i mean really it the process starts with fsa the producer comes in and generally says hey i'm interested in in crp it starts with that side they can run kind of a scenario to see you know what their payment might be or or if they're in priority zones and then it comes to us as an nrcs to go out look at the land and say yes that is suitable and feasible for that particular practice to Mm. go in or if it's not maybe what else can can go in and and then Mm -hmm. from there you know as you guys know there's a lot of nuance and specifics to seedings and things for each specific Mm -hmm. crp itself and so that's where we come into play and then well well, that makes sense because shout out to the fsa people i know you guys are all great but i always have better conversations with nrcs and i think it's because the nrcs people we get to talk about the fields and the fsa people Usually they're like, "Hey, this seed tag was off by .001. We need you to fix it," <laughs> which are great conversations too. But yeah. uh, I'd much rather talk about big blue stem. Uh, yeah. So when at the head or at as a manager of CRP, you're under NRCS, correct? And then is there an equivalent of your position for the FSA? So Kurt Getch from FSA. Um, He's he oversees compliance and con, uh, can shoot. I'm butchering this. Um, conservation and compliance division for FSA at the state office level, okay. and so um, CRP falls under kind of his shop. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So him and I talk a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to you know situations we run, we'll run into, or he's really engaged with. Um, and he's a big wildlife guy too. So, um, it's fun because, you know, working on different parameters and things that these practices may or may not allow, you know, having yeah. that conversation, um, with him has been really good. Yeah. So, That's awesome. um, yeah, so uh, he's, he's actually, he's higher than my, myself. I mean, he's the, the head of FSA in that division. That's so, cool. Yeah. Man. Sure. Well, we, we do want to take a moment and first say, Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Also, we want to say that Matt is here purely out of the goodness of his heart and maybe because his boss told him he might have had to be here. <laughs> I actually, I, I asked Nikki for uh, for an interview and she's like, oh, that sounds so amazing. Uh, Matt will do it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think you'd sent the email probably like two weeks after I started and and she forwarded that and was like, here you go. And I was like, well, thanks. Thank you for that. So. Oh, man. But we do want to say that um, the, in no way are you recommending a producer over another. And and the cool thing about the native seed industry is of the industries I've been a part of, it is by far the most friendly uh, and uh and, and I guess working together, I, I don't want to make it sound like we're all colluding, <laughs> you know, but, but, um, native seed producers, we work together. There's, while there is competition, there's not a feel of competition in the air. We're not, you know, there's no stepping on toes that I've at least experienced being around. And, uh, and so it's, it, Matt was saying that they want to be able to help all producers and, and we are also in the same boat. So 
we appreciate having you. And yeah, we absolutely. Wanna... Yeah, we're. I mean, NRCS is open to any and all producers helping them with objectives and solving what we call resource concerns. And um, you know, kind of our motto is helping people help the land. Um, but also, we're um, you know open and and we do work with many many other contractors, whether that's you know dirt tile contractors or or seeding contractors that just sell seed all the way to you know planting it as well so yeah absolutely now earlier when i was when i was bringing up the different offices i used to be a a high school biology teacher and so a big part of that job was you know pointing kids in the right direction for careers and in fact i just got a a message yesterday from uh uh, i'm gonna do a reference for a, a former student who applied for a uh uh, internship somewhere. And, uh, that's tons of fun, you know, just, just doing that. And, and you have a lot of kids who have probably a fairly similar background to what Matt described where they grew up in the outdoors and they, you know, they just like, man, how can I make this a part of my everyday life? I would have been one of those kids, (laughs) you know, and, um, there's all those options there. There's probably more of the desk work than most kids, envision but i gotta imagine there's been some pretty cool stuff you've gotten to do on the Absolutely. job since Absolutely. you started back in i think you said 2013 yep. what is maybe you can't pick out the number one but say the top one percent give us one story from the top one percent of uh your experiences sure in the field. so kind of kind of to go back of where i started so i started with um the dnr public land transferred mm-hmm. to public or private land in the NRCS office. Then that sure. kind of transitioned into, I was a, I'll claim the first pheasants forever farm bill wildlife biologist in Iowa. Oh, that is cool. Um, now that I was really hired cool. with two or three others. And so we, you know, sure. we'll argue who was actually the first, but I'll, I'll take that since I'm on the podcast right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so then, so I was in the office for five years doing primarily wildlife work. Sure. Um, which is what I went to school, which would, I, you know, helping yeah. producers, you know, meet those objectives. And so um, then that transitioned into opportunities as far as with NRCS. So a soil conservationist job opened up in Council Bluffs. I was lucky enough to get that worked in, in Shelby County, um, got the D.C. job, district conservationist job. So I was manager essentially of the NRCS office in Winterset. And then in Greenfield, um, which is a Dare County, and then from there I got this position. So there are lots of positions in there, um, and I was actually, you know, thinking of some of my favorite things. And the, and the one thing that constantly pops up, we've had some really good producers that uh, that we've worked with um, on really fun CRP projects because they're really into wildlife, you know. So sure. we do food plots here and nesting cover here and you know, different kinds of seedings on their property. Um, But one of the things that really stuck out was actually when I was a PF farm bill biologist in Western Iowa. And so we worked in um, with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, At that time, I think it was the Obama administration that had the uh, American Great Outdoors initiative or something. But anyway, they put some money towards... um, outdoor activity getting people outdoor to outdoors and okay and, yeah. and experiencing the outdoors and so 
how that money got there, I don't know, but basically some of that money was funneled through um, Fish and Wildlife Service, and we were able to utilize that with other partners to restore remnant prairie in the Lust Hills. And so that's cool. I was contacting folks in the Lust Hills um, that you know I knew of just from relationships, but also having hunted and stuff around there and just driven yeah. around and things and, and saw being connected these to the point, land, you know, these big hills that are now almost all covered in trees, um, that used to be essentially treeless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we were looking for were areas of cedars. Um, and essentially, as you guys probably know, if you cut a cedar below the lowest branch, it's dead. You don't have to spray it or anything. So that's one sure. nice thing. Um, there's not, you know, some people wouldn't say there's very many nice things about cedars, but that, um, you know, deer hunters like cedars. Deer, yeah, that's and right. Shed hunters. And shed hunters and, fe- you know, yeah, they, they provide winter too, cover, yeah. so they, they have their place. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we would focus on that and we would help um, get um, cost share and things for those landowners to get those cut down, whether that was manually with a chainsaw or um, taking a big grinder in there, like a mm-hmm. forestry mower. Um, and grinding them down <clears throat> and some of the res- this response of the native remnant prairie was just incredible That's i mean cool. it was just being suppressed by essentially no light and competition and as yeah. soon as you got that out i mean it would just explode and and so that was one of my probably favorite bigger projects that i worked on and That's i actually cool. worked on that all all the way up into monona county as well um and so that was a that was a lot of fun so that, that was those were days of work where you whistled on your way to the truck yeah that's you know, right that's, so that's pretty cool yep what what's your what's the biggest prairie you've ever seen we've talked kent and i've talked a lot of like we may never see the like rolling hills of prairie have you ever seen just a giant hundreds of acres of prairie in one place like remnant prairie you mean? well i guess remnant would be really cool <laughs> but even uh a well uh restore yeah maybe or, somebody's been working on it for 20 30 years yeah. something like that goodness that's a good question um maybe not hundreds of acres but i mean i've seen some fairly large nice seedings you know 50 sure. 60 80 acres mm-hmm. that were well managed and um you know it, partly lucky because you know we're always fighting things that are trying to invade whether that's brome or trees or yeah. you know trying to to manage those out but not hurt what you're actually trying to help mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so yep. yeah there's been there's been some i can't think of any specific but there's most certainly been days where you go out there and it's like yeah this is this is what i like you know Man, um that's cool we, i think the best prairie in terms of quality we've ever seen was russell kurtz unless you can think of a, a different yeah that that was he said almost he, weedless yeah really. that, like on the fringe there was like a little bit of queen anne's lace and that was it like a few plants well also. and what was crazy was right before he purchased that ground it had been freshly seeded to brome and red clover mm-hmm. <laughs> so i mean just just got it to where you know all that stuff was coming up and that may have actually helped him though you hmm. know because then he didn't have such a thick you know bunch of it to yeah, kill yeah. off but he got it you, you'd maybe see a strand of brome every once in a while but it was almost entirely native and the species. the diversity he said he said he was pretty sure he had over 100 species wow. in there i mean he had stuff that i've never seen on a bid or on a seed plant anywhere <laughs> yeah uh like ginseng he had like three different kinds of ginseng gentian, He's like, yeah, gentian gentian thank you and i was like oh i've never i mean i've seen it on 
like priceless. Sure. But apparently it's wildly hard to grow. and Tons uh, of lead plant. And it's just yeah. hard to believe that that was spread throughout, you know, like yeah. hundreds and hundreds of species oh, throughout, yeah. throughout Iowa. Yeah. You Even, know, it's just, yeah, if you just took could like you a imagine just two by that. two acre or two <laughs> acre plot. We have a spot on uh, one of the farms that we manage um, where all of our switchgrass is at. And uh, it's a, it's really a kind of a valley. And um, I went out there, I, my parents were visiting and uh, they live back in the Quad City. So even there is a totally different, you know, eco type mm-hmm. than, than what we have here in South Central Iowa. You know, there it's a lot of riparian, you know, Mississippi River uh, flood plains and and you know trees growing through there and everything and cliffs and and things like that so coming out here that's different you know to look at and i took them out to our switchgrass field and it was before we harvested so everything's you know it was late i think it was late august mm. and uh it's probably you know three four weeks before we harvest it everything's full growth and it was a windy day. Hmm. And it was a kind of like off and on rainy day, which to me is the most beautiful kind of day on the prairie where you see the big, you know, uh, those big uh, anvil clouds, you know, for like a thunderstorm and, and uh, cumulonimbus clouds, right? Isn't that what they're mm-hmm. called? And, sure. Uh, I think so. I used to teach this stuff. <laughs> I know that. From but, my, uh, <laughs> from but uh, it was, you know, and the, the color of the sky was just perfect. And, my dad was sitting there looking at all that switchgrass just swaying in the grass, you know, like waves in, or swaying in the wind, like waves in the ocean. He's like, man, you can just almost picture what prairie would have been like. And that was just, you know, mostly one species, one species yeah. with a few <laughs> random uh, big blue growing in there. But, you know, just thinking of a vast area of that. And, and what's cool that you mentioned about the cedar tree removal is that's how we found out we had remnant prairie here on this farm. Oh, awesome. And that's, that's what started – carol our founders you know mission to you know start bringing help bring back prairie mm-hmm. and grow prairie species was uh he uh, accidentally burned down some cedar <laughs> trees and up came some big blue and nice. i think a little some little blue and big blue, little blue switch switch and indian. indian right i think i think one more i think he canada wild dry i think okay oh, okay yeah i mean obviously it was enough species what yeah. is it six that has to you have to have six for it to qualify as a classify as a remnant I mean, I think. yeah I, but he had you know that and i think maybe a few more that uh, wow so very cool yeah very very cool man yeah it, it the prairie journey is a cool one and it has been uh has a severe incline severe seems like the wrong word is a drastic incline when crp i, I originally crp was like just brome right I think yeah. the first program. Didn't they brown. used to call it the lay, lay aside or set aside? Set aside. Set aside. Yep. I still get folks asking about the set aside the set program. Aside. Yeah. Like, I God. don't know how long that, you know. Yeah. So like back when I was 60 years old, we had the set aside acres. Of, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I think back in like the uh, 56, there was a soil bank program, which was okay. had kind of two avenues and it was short term contracts. And I think the last contract was like the nineteen six, like nineteen sixty, and one of them was like I believe CRP. One was um, I'm going to butcher this, like Acre Reserve Program, something like that. So, okay. um, so that's kind of I would say the original quote unquote. Um, 
but that kind of went away and not there really wasn't anything available and and the main goal was um, it just it couldn't compete with farm farming acres? i think so and i think when that initially came out it was you know trying to help with the surplus of of crops and things for like mm-hmm. price support as well as conservation which was primarily soil erosion and that was it sure and so in the you know the um Food Security Act of 1985, also known as the Farm Bill, 1985 Farm Bill, that's really when CRP became available. And the first sign-up was in 1986 in March. And from then on, every Farm Bill has had CRP in it. And as like everything else, kind of like you mentioned, you know, initially it was brome and then maybe just solid switch grass and, or maybe some alfalfa with it, you know, or something. And it is evolved. Reed canary grass. Reed, yeah, right. <laughs> it has, uh, like many things it's changed and evolved over time. And I mean, you know, now some of the, the objectives are, are, are similar, obviously soil erosion. We get really good benefits, you know, by seeding, you know, cropland sure. down to yep. that, but water quality. And then, um, some of this climate smart type stuff, you know, we're getting look, we're um, getting some um, studies looking into CRP as far as carbon sequestration and things like that. Mm-hmm. But obviously, wildlife, you know, the as you guys know, with the seed mixes evolving, I mean that that's changed drastically mm-hmm. to yeah. to benefit specific species as well as as fit into certain i mean that's practices and you'll know this better than me matt but that's been around for a while like people managing properties for you know a deer property or a, yeah. a, a, a pheasant property or whatever but that has almost become like a sub industry of itself i mean in the yeah. last five mm-hmm. to ten years that has exploded yeah um with with how many people have taken an interest to that and even I think has grown that prairie vocabulary, so to speak. You know, I can't tell you how many times I'm talking to a guy who's a hunter and uh, uh, maybe a plumber, <laughs> you know, and he's talking about big blue stem. And yep. it's like, how do you know about that? You know, you've never, that's right. You know, you never went to any school to learn about native species of yeah. the prairie. So, but some because, of the smartest folks about yeah. prairie are not in this, exactly. you know, in this realm. It's, you know, it's, it's just folks that just love, love it. And it's on their property. Yep. Yeah. And, and they just dig right into it and and it's like i'm asking them questions you know yeah, right. it's like exactly. i've talked to people they with have... less than a quarter acre of a lot who know as much if not more about yeah, prairie absolutely. than i do you know and they've got 60 well, and, species in their back yeah, and, and what's cool with especially like in a blue collar background they have the know-how for like operating equipment and stuff to really make a, a prairie work yeah you know and uh so it's i think that that is so cool that that you know, that connection happens Absolutely. and people living close to the land. Right. Yep. And, and they, they grow in that. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It, it's pretty interesting. I mean, um, just like you said, I mean, it's somebody that you think may not know as much and it's like, you know, it's surprising. Yeah, they're, they know they're more. And now I'm asking them questions walking around, <laughs> you know, right. it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Yep. It, so CRP right now, I'm trying to think general acres. I mean, 2021 was pretty crazy just because there were backed up acres, if I remember correctly. And then we had last fall, 2022 spring. Um, is it slowing down? I know normally it slows down when corn commodities go up, which for many different reasons, including things going on in Ukraine and stuff like that, corn is is pretty high. Uh, what What do you see happening with CRP in the next two to five years 
it's hard to tell, but generally, like you said, once commodity prices get to a certain point, we start seeing stuff not being re-enrolled or taken out even, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, you know, they can make that work or pencil out. Yeah. Um, currently. So in the last, I think since two, 2020, um, the national cap was 24 million. And I believe this year in 2023, it's up to 27 million. And mm-hmm. so I think the, uh, the opportunity I think is going to be there as far as if folks want to get in, um, as we talked about, it's evolved. There's so many opportunities and so many practices that people can get into. I mean, back in the old days, it was, you see that whole field down and that's not, you know, you can, there are opportunities to do that, but you know, a lot of the practices available now are, are specialized and we use them only on the edge, you know, as a quail buffer, for example, around mm-hmm. the, the edge, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we can specialize and, 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 utilize those in smaller areas versus just larger fields but altogether i think it's going to increase i don't as far as the opportunity whether Mm -hmm. folks do that i don't know um we hope so obviously because the the last farm bill was like five years ago right correct i think they're just it was 2018 2018 yeah it wasn't i i don't know the exact date but it was passed actually later than that but it's a 2000 um 18 farm bill so that they'll be working on another one soon oh um, cool so what, do you have any guesses as to when they would come through with another farm bill i have no idea yeah. I, mm-hmm. I really don't have any idea i mean there's so much stuff that goes into that um you know and, and honestly once once that changes um you know it changes rules for lots of different things mm-hmm. and so i feel like um you know we as staff obviously are trying to grasp that as much as we can so that we can provide the best mm-hmm. information we can yeah. to producers as well as, you know, vendors and things like that on, on rules and things. And, and that takes time, you know, the government trickling that stuff down. Yeah. It takes time to figure that out and, and, and things change. I feel like they change. And once we kind of start figuring out it almost like, well, here's another farm bill and we're, you know, we're kind of doing it yeah. again, you know, because, yeah. Equip, for example, there was two or three years where there was like some tweaks, you know, because of, of certain rules written and we just had to roll with it. I mean, at times it is frustrating, but you know, it, it is what it is. And we try to do our best and learn and, and let the producers know what the changes are so that they can make the best decisions they yeah, can. Yeah. And, yeah. and that goes for CRP and, and for everything. And, yeah. um, but as far as Iowa, you know, right now, I think the national nationally we're at, I think about 22 million acres. Um, we, Iowa's got just shy of 1.7 million acres. Okay. We're top five, I think in the country for acres. Good. Yeah. So Iowa's got shy of 1.7 million acres. Um, and again, top five in the country, um, looking through some lists real quick. So we're, we're right there. Um, the interesting thing is, is we have just shy of 105,000 contracts, oh, wow. um, which is by far tops in the country. The wow. next closest That's is awesome. Illinois with like 74,000. Wow. wow. And so, um, you know, just the workload and management of that is, you know, is daunting. And, and it's, you know, we are touching these contracts more than we ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Not only do we work with folks, you know, up front, 
but once kind of like you said you you provide a seed plan we're looking at those seed plans and approving those to make sure they meet our Mm -hmm. standards in the state um and there are some overarching standards in the state you know 40 seeds per square foot for example Mm -hmm. is pretty common but how that looks in the mix is different based on individual practices so you know your your 40 seeds could be a 30 10 mix so 30 seeds grass 10 seeds wildflower for one type of seeding pollinator seeding it could be 10 seeds of grass 30 seeds of wildflowers or a 20 mm-hmm. 20 like a 50 50 mix and so those are the things that we're prescribing and that we're checking on making sure the number of species is there and that mm-hmm. type of thing and so we're doing that up front and then as as uh nicholas you mentioned you know once it's seeded then the producer brings those bills in to say, Hey, I seeded the correct thing when I was supposed to do it, how I was supposed to do it. You know, all those things are good. And FSA, you know, gets their documentation for the cost share portion of it and brings it to us. And so this is somewhat new in the last two, three years is now we're really going through, we have to go through every single one of them. We look through, make sure the seed plan is approved. Ideally that's approved before they buy it. Mm -hmm. You know, that, we give them an example seed plan and we say go either price this out you know we encourage them to to take that if they want to use that seed plan it meets our standards and specs but we know generally if they give like you guys or or another seed company hey i need a cp25 for example sure. generally there's house mixes quote unquote you know mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that are available you know based on you know what you have available and and cost and that type of stuff and which is fine um we want to see those before they buy it. So if there needs to be tweaks, we can do that before yeah, it's right, bought, right. particularly before it's seeded, yeah. you know, and, you know, and that, that becomes a headache. And so, um, but when all that stuff is done, we look at that, we look at when, you know, if they were supposed to spray twice, did they spray twice? When did they seed? How mm-hmm. did they seed? When did they seed? You know, did, did the dates work? And then we say, yes, this, yes or no, this, does or does not meet our standards and specs Mm -hmm. um give it back to fsa and then at that point fsa decides to you know cut the cost share check essentially yeah Mm -hmm. so that's like one what we would consider status review type thing Mm -hmm. the next one is year four status review so year four status review is just like it said in year four of the contract there's a list pulled from fsa it's sent to nrcs and then i divvy that out to the counties and those need to be looked at to make sure, you know, is what's seeded there, you know, are there any trees, any encroachment, crop encroachment, anything like that. And then we do a status review, send out letters if there's issues. Mm. And then um, there's also second to last year status reviews. And so um, we look at those every year as well. So every year we're going to have year four and second to last year status reviews. And so those take the place of the status reviews that we've done in the past, you know, if, if one expires this year, typically what was getting done was we would go look at it in August and it expires in September. Well, that doesn't give that producer much time if there's Mm -hmm. an issue, you know, Mm -hmm. trees, for example, you know, um, but this gives them over a year to, to get that done, which I think is good, but we were never looking at all of those that many times. And so we're, Mm -hmm. we're, like I said, we're touching and looking at these more than we ever have. And so by having the most contracts in the state, you know, yeah. it's a pretty big workload oh, um, yeah. Yeah. for that. You know? Now so. I've, I've got a question specifically about mowing. 
Uh-huh. Because we get asked a lot to moan, and, and it's not it's just not in our uh, manpower to be able to go out and mow a bunch of people. And I know people that will do it, but um, uh, ISU Extension has their rates that they deem regular for, um, like, uh, basically to make sure that your neighbor's not ripping you off for uh, disking or the mowing. The custom or rate survey. Yes, thank you. Yep. And their mowing cost is is really low, and I think cost share is very low for mowing. And I'm curious why that is, because I um, there are a couple people who are who I know that are interested in mowing, but they say they just the expect like they're expected to charge fifteen or sixteen an acre, but to even pay to get a tractor out there for ten acres, they need they need twenty five or thirty, and and rightfully so. The landowner then says, "Hey, this is way over what anyone is expecting you to pay." You know, so. For some reason, the the cost of actually mowing is somehow mismanaged or not mis is uh, mismatching, or maybe there's something there I totally am not understanding. I'm wondering if you know anything about that. So we have what are called component code forms. It's actually FSA's form that we help fill out because when we do a conservation plan, we are supposed to provide them with a cost estimate. And so this form, from my understanding, we're one of few states that actually use this type of form. Um, but on there it's, it, the rates are laid out, you Mm -hmm. know, there's not to exceed rates, Mm -hmm. um, 50% not to exceed X amount, depending on what you're doing. Um, and so that's what we go with an FSA. Um, you know, they do look at costs coming in, um, Mm -hmm. from bills and, and try to adjust that. And I think if we're seeing that, you know, due to whatever reason, inflation or whatever, that it's just not close, then, you know, there is an opportunity to increase that. Now, as far as mowing itself, um, we provide as, as far as NRCS, we provide when we're doing a plan, um, like guide sheets, for example, of, you Mm -hmm. know, how to plant, Mm -hmm. you know, are you planting into sod? There's a certain way to do that. If you're planting into corner beans, there's certain way or options to do to choose from, um, that meet our standards and specs. And then there's one that is kind of like managing, a native planting and that talks about the mowing the first year yeah. and so rule of thumb you know first year you mow it three times um in there it says when it gets about you know weeds get knee high mow it down you know to what five to eight inches or so mm-hmm. um and so that is you know we want people to do that because we're encouraging and trying to get the best stand as we can yeah. as, as possible as quickly as possible um, by reducing that competition, allowing sunlight to the new growth, that type of mm-hmm. thing. Um, and that's always been a requirement or suggestion that that, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important because we find that the number one variable, there are lots of variables, but the main variable is, is did they mow enough their first sure. year? Yep. You know, and on whether it becomes a good stand or yep. not. And so, so these handouts are actually... Are, I think are pretty good. Um, it, it lays out what needs to happen. Um, but back to the mowing. So in the past, that was not cost shared at all. It mm. was just like, you should be doing this and there was no cost share. Now there is some cost share available through FSA. And currently it's, um, it's like not to exceed $12 an acre. So essentially yeah. if it's 24, if, you, if a producer gets charged $24, the maximum cost share they could get is $12 an acre. Yeah. Um, but that's at the 50% rate. Yeah. So, and I also think that something we're seeing is, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of out of, 
we're we're finished with the age of people owning 150 acres and and farming it full time. That's not really it's not really doable for anyone anymore. But then, uh, but you know, 30 years ago, everyone had a neighbor who had a mower, or they had a much smaller farm and they had mower. So, and most of the land was owned by the farmers. And now we see we get a lot of people call us. Hey, I, I actually live in Ohio, you know, and I own that ground. It's in CRP. Do you know anyone that could mow it? Um, you know, and they're not there. They don't have a mower. They don't know any of the neighbors. Which That's totally a great fine. question, Nick. I was going to ask. I was going to ask Matt about out of state landowners and and CRP. So remind yeah. me to come back to that. Oh yeah, yeah. And so with uh, when we're kind of away for, and I'm I'm trying not to suggest that this is a bad thing. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but we're away from the smaller neighbor farmers, and we're we're kind of going into a, an age of a little bit larger farmers. I think there's less kind of availability for mowing. And then the people that are mowing are like, Hey, I need to make money doing this. You know, it's not like uh, I can't just be doing this buddy, buddy um, thing. And I'm wondering, I wonder if that has something to do with it where farmers didn't have an issue 25 years ago, getting it mowed. They had a neighbor who had a mower or they had one themselves. And, and now, so it was an issue. NRCS never had to address it. And now we're starting to see that shift over where uh, farmers are, but uh, let's go to your question, Ken, about out-of-state landowners. Yeah. Do you feel that, I mean, the shift that Nick talked about, it's huge, right? Uh, I like to use the example that um, I live on the family farm that my grandpa grew up on, and it'll be a century farm in five years, and um, there's only on my road for about a i don't know maybe a five mile stretch you surrounded by farmland in every direction uh the closest you get to a farmer is me working here on on at hoxie you know which you know i, I classify myself as a farmer doing that and my neighbor who works on a farm uh, mostly driving a, a truck for a farmer that's you know 20 miles away and yet the rest of it's all farm ground owned by somebody, right? Farmed by somebody who doesn't live there. And that um, example, I think, kind of sums up where Iowa is now with land ownership. And do you feel that that has hurt the number of CRP applications? You know, hey, I'd like to put this ground just because there's people that own ground that they've never even physically step foot on you know it got passed down through inheritance or whatever or or there they had a bank manager that they said hey i just inherited you know this money do something with it and they purchased some ground form or whatever do you feel that that is you know and this really gets to the core for the we've been talking nuts and bolts of, of crp but the purpose of crp is conservation you know soil water uh, wildlife air do you feel from your position that this detached ownership of land has hurt the number of CRP applications that that we could have? You know, 105,000 is a ton to deal with. But do you feel that that would be more if uh, that ground was owned by people who live closer to it? And they could be like, yeah, yeah, I can see, you know, that those acres over there, they really don't yield much because, you know, it's kind of a washout area. You know, yeah, maybe I'll check and see about doing CRP. Or do you feel like, like, nah, doesn't you know? It all washes out in the end. And- you know, that's a good question. I I don't really know. I do know that 
there is no doubt that more and more land is getting rented versus, you know, it's a f- owner operator, you mm-hmm. know, like 50% yep. I think is actually rented. Wow. And so, you know, I don't know, you know, the, the reason or if this would make a difference, but I mean, to me, you know, if I'm renting a, a 40 and the owner, you know, either, either doesn't know, or, you know, you're just renting 40 acres. Mm-hmm. If the agreement is set up su- as such that, you know, the the guy renting or the, the lady or the farmer or producer renting it, you know, needs to farm all 40 acres because I'm paying for right, that. Yep. You know, I, I think that's probably more of a, a situation versus, you know, hey, you know, Mr. Landowner, I farm this 40, but this, you know, these two to five acres just do not produce Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put inputs on every year. I don't get anything out. They burn up or, you know, they yep. drowned out or something like that. And is there some something that we can negotiate? Um, whereas, you know, I don't have to pay rent on that, but you'll get your, you yeah. know, your, your CRP payment. I think that's an opportunity and that does happen, um, you know, but sometimes it's, you know, I've had folks say it, well, you know, I'm paying for that and it's hard to, you know, justify taking that out, you yeah. know. Um, so I think, again, I, I don't know if that, that how much that actually affects, but I kind of to a point I wanted to touch on anyway was how CRP can be used for those type of situations. Mm-hmm. So if there's an area that just does not produce, it erodes, you know, the producer does not necessarily need to increase yields per se on that farm. Mm-hmm. They just need to reduce inputs. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's by great, not putting... It's, it's still math. Exactly. Yeah. And... and you know, so the bottom line will increase by just not putting on nitrogen mm-hmm. and phosphorus and all those things that you're not getting the crop to pay for that, essentially. Right. Whereas CRP seems like a great way to come in and tie into that in these smaller areas. And we do have, again, it's evolved and we have things that are we are able to target certain areas does it work every single time absolutely not but it's a great option because not only are you not putting those inputs in um, every single year but you're seeding it down you're getting you know all the benefits we talked about soil water wildlife Mm -hmm. things like that Mm -hmm. Um, you do some inputs up front and then you get an annual payment on that every year and so again bottom line you know there are times that there's no doubt you could make money just by farming less <laughs> yeah, in a way right, because yeah. you're not putting inputs in and does yeah. it work out all the time? No, but CRP is a great option at least to look into because most farmers know which areas in their, you know, every field that just never produce or right. just produce yeah. not very well consistently. And so taking those red areas out, you know, CRP seems, you know, is a, is a, is an option and seems like a um, good route to go if, if folks do that. And so just letting people know that, Hey, you don't have to put the whole farm in. We can try to target those areas for those yeah. particular mm-hmm. reasons, um, which is great. Yeah. You know, we're getting multiple benefits yeah. instead of just one thing. You know, we do a CRP, right. We're getting, you know, multiple benefits from that one, yeah. one thing. And yeah. so um, I think that's a, a message that I think is is good to continue to push. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. You know? And 
and I guess the kind of crystal ball moment we can kind of have with this is we see it shifting to where you have, you know, we'll just use the very uh, official term, mega wealthy uh, landowners that have never farmed, that never stepped foot on the ground. I believe uh, Bill Gates is the number one landowner in America right now, um, uh, software guy. <laughs> and uh, we even uh, investors from other countries on the other side of the, the planet that own Iowa farm ground. It's so important that those people can, you know, know the advantage that CRP can can be. And, you know, of course, they have they aren't the you know bill gates i'm sure isn't sitting there looking at google earth being like you know this farm over here that that, that, he's got land managers and everything else i'm sure that on staff but to to convey the message of the importance of of getting those acres that just makes more sense to take off the inputs and save that money and then get the check for Mm. for uh putting it into crp acres yeah they need to hear that message so you know you know somebody maybe you don't own land yet hopefully you, you will at some point if you're listening to this and you can make some of these changes yourself but maybe you, you have a a relative or a friend or somebody that that does have some power to call shots on the ground so to speak yeah. um and what what matt just said is so critically important i want to encourage people who are listening to this if you own land there is a huge temptation right now to sell and, uh, um, but I think that some of the smartest people in the world, despite the price of the land are buying if they can. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would encourage you go to the NRCS because maybe financially, you know, you're hurting a little bit, or you feel like this is the best option for the family. I would encourage you make it work if you can. And, and the NRCS that they, they have some really good, or I guess FSA, we found out earlier, they have some really good programs that can help you make it work, make the numbers line up. And, uh, and I would encourage you to do that because, uh, something that, uh, I firmly believe in, um, and I study, uh, macroeconomics quite a bit is, is that, um, in home ownership, a town, the percentage of the percentage of homes that are owned that that person who the owner lives in the house, that is the highest correlation with how healthy a local economy is. Mm is uh, how many uh, homes are owned and lived in. And uh, I believe similarly with farms is uh, uh, not only for economy, but for the ecology. Because when you're on the farm, when you live in it and your family has owned it for 100 years, you care about that dirt. You yeah. care about that ground. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with being wealthy and buying farmland. I mean, nope. they're making intelligent moves. And I would just encourage you to also make an intelligent move. And if you can, make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, very well said, Nick. Yeah. Uh, I like well, I didn't coin the phrase, but uh, I love the phrase, I should say, um, living close to the land. I mean, I think that that is so critically important, even if it's not yours. You know, maybe you have permission to to go fishing on a neighbor's pond or go hunting on their ground or looking for mushrooms or deer antlers or whatever. Treat it like it's yours while you're there. You know, <laughs> have that have that appreciation for what it is and and uh, try and and, uh, you know, help where you can and help preserve that so yeah very well said nick here's here i got a question for you and if you don't know anything about it that's totally fine but electric cars (laughs) do you think they will be heavily affecting uh iowa corn farmers at all in 
I mean, not next year, not the year after that, but in maybe 20 years when uh, a much bigger percentage of cars produced are electric and as they start filtering into the um, to the more impoverished people where they can't buy a new car, but now they can buy a 12-year-old electric car, you know? Do you think that affects farming in, at all? Well, and, and what he's, I think what he's getting at there is, what did I hear the other day? Is it 50% of Iowa's corn is is used for ethanol production, something like that. Fact check me on that, Nick. I literally just did, yeah. It is 50%? Okay. <laughs> Peyton, Peyton, Peyton just fact checked check me. All right, good. I like Peyton as my fact checker better because usually <laughs> Nick proves me wrong. He was already ahead of it. I, but, I, yeah, but, uh, I was not there. Uh, yeah, so much of Iowa's corn, half of it's going to ethanol production. So if that, you know, half of the corn is no longer – and it won't even be that much. We'll say 40% of that, 50%, uh, is no longer needed for ethanol production. Do you think CRP will be the the solution? Or in your, I mean, just knowing how that money flows down from a federal bill down to this to, to the farmer level, or would you guess that it would probably end up being some other kind of program that – would would cover those acres, you know. So uh, that's a good question. I have no idea. To be, you're honest. not an expert in like large. <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm no, not. Political I'm not. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't sign up for that. So uh, no, I I don't know. I mean, regardless of what happens, I mean, there's still going to be space for conservation, however mm-hmm. that that looks, yeah. and that's going to all this is going to evolve based on many things, including yeah. you know the electric car. Yeah. facet you know yeah. and, and I, I honestly i have not dove all that much into that um you know just like everything else it's going to evolve with you know the needs mm-hmm. and and things of the time and so it's i don't know what that's you know what crp is going to look like i don't know what yeah. you know the landscape you know how that's going to affect affect any of that really I, yeah. i'm just not sure one of, one of the best things about having you on here <laughs> is that the information you have is good and it is credible. Uh, the difference between having you on and having some of our other guests that we've had on is uh, because you are an integral man uh, and you are a, a federal or a state state employee. Federal. Federal employee. Uh, you don't want to share opinions. And while opinions are sometimes spicy and nice to hear, we, we do appreciate that you are you are sticking just with facts so that you guys don't get any false information from us. Uh, apparently, right. though, we are fact-checking our, our things these days <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, staying ahead of the curve. Well, before uh, before we take off today, I am wondering, is there anything else that you feel like you really want landowners or, or farmers to know, maybe about CRP, about the NRCS, that you feel like is, is often misconstrued? I, I would just say, I mean we all know that you know dealing in and with the federal government can have its challenges at times um Mm -hmm. just the the sheer amount of information coming down to us us and then us as an nrcs or a federal agency then trying to get that out to um you know landowners producers contractors in a way that everybody understands and it's on the same page Mm -hmm. um can be difficult and um, Nicholas, as you, as you mentioned, I, you know, I just encourage folks to come into the NRCS if they have questions, if they have concerns. Um, I think it's important 
to start building relationships with producers and your local office, mm, just because more understanding of individual operations, just having a connection with people instead of the federal, you know, the federal employee, it's, it's Matt there, you know, yeah. I, I think, mm. I feel like we're losing that, you know, with technology and things yeah. like that. And so just the building relationship and trust, I think is going to be a big thing moving forward to know that, mm. you know, the folks that I've worked with and in, in many different offices, as far as um, coworkers and things, I mean, we are really trying to, mm. you know, the customer is the producer mm-hmm. and we're trying to help them as much as we possibly can. Yeah. And so, um, we've been, you know, we've done stuff that's been great. We've, I've had instances where there's miscommunication or mm. even wrong information given, you know, and, and nobody wants that. Yeah. And it's, it is difficult. Um, but I, I just think, you know, asking questions, being engaged, yeah. working with your local offices and trying to build as much a relationship as you can, I think is important to try to get to navigate through these challenging times, I guess, and, mm-hmm. and just all this information coming at you and, yeah. and us and, you know, trying to have a little patience kind of going both ways, you know, and, um, you know, again, CRP has lots of different avenues that can be, um, explored. Um, whether that's, you know, I'm, I'm a diehard pheasant hunter. Well, there are potential options for yep. that. You know, we can do mm-hmm. multiple mixes, food plots, things like that mm-hmm. all the way to, well, you know, again, that area just doesn't produce. I want to seed it down so it doesn't erode. You know, we have a per- highly erodible land initiative, which Mm-hmm. is targeted towards highly erodible land and just to seed it down. So there's lots of options, you know, trying to help folks, you know, um, I mean, we're not going to sit down and do numbers, but give them options to yeah. choose from that, that best fits their, their, um, yeah. operation and, and best fits in solving concerns. They have resource concerns and, and objectives and, and yeah. things like that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's that seems like a fluffy answer, but no, I really do think it's, you know, if I've learned so much from some producers that I've had, you know, built relationships with and it's hard. I mean, it's, it, it takes time yeah. and a lot of us don't feel like we have that, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Um, time is extremely valuable. And I think those relationships will pay off when it comes to, Hey, I'm trying this or what about, what do you think about me trying this? Or do you have something mm-hmm. available for to help me try this right. type of thing. Yep. I mean, I just yeah. think those conversations are going to be really important. Um, they always are, but moving forward. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'll, I'll, I will totally vouch anyone listening to this. I totally vouch any NRCS worker that I've met is always trying their best to help the farmer and be within the guidelines that they were given, right? These people are mm-hmm. not making the rules. They're just trying to help distribute uh, distribute things and help the landowners and, uh, they are just trying their best. And, and yeah, sometimes, uh, I, I have an interaction where I didn't super like it, but I can always walk away and and be like, that person is trying their best with what they know in their office with their boss, telling them what they, you know, whatever information they're needing to know. So, uh, right now for anyone listening, I'm going to teach you how to build good relationship with your NRCS office. You bring them cookies. The end. That was all. 
Don't just go in. Don't need anything. Just say, hey, I'm here to drop these off. Immediate great, great relationship. Uh, is that bribing a federal? Try to true method. Everyone always smiles. Although I did one time walk in an office and I like, I like was just bringing them cookies. Cause we, they do a lot for us in, in terms of like, we have a lot of customers in their area. So we know, Hey, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without you guys. So, we brought him. We brought him cookies, and one lady was like, "What am I supposed to do with these?" I was like, "They're cookies. You eat them. You eat them." <laughs> I don't know what else. What else to say there? But uh, yeah, Kent, did you well, have anything else? And you know, I think a thing that goes a long ways in that relationship is, and Nick, you kind of said it there. You're like, yeah, the person's just doing their job, and that's what it is when you get like a compliance check or something like that. You know, it is. I think, and probably this is you know, goes back to the old name, set aside acre. Set aside means, all right, I get a check for it. It's out of mind, out of, you know, whatever. Just don't have to worry about it. And you know, there are a list of rules you agree to when you hmm. when you um, yeah. get that check. And so know what those are because then it's not fun for the guy who's got to say, hey, you know, you were supposed to burn this and you didn't. Or, hey, you were supposed to, you know, get rid of this invasive and you didn't or whatever. Yeah. Or hey, you're farming some of the ground, or using it as a you know a, a pathway to get your equipment through, or whatever. Mowing when you're not supposed to be mowing it, and you know it's it's your job to know that information so that it doesn't become a negative confrontation moment where oh the NRCS guy's a jerk, you know, <laughs> or whatever, and he's just doing his job. And if you have questions, right, ask, you know, um, right, we're, yeah, we're definitely yeah. there for that. I mean, that that's. To yep. educate folks, you know, hey, can I, yeah, cut a path in there and ride four wheelers on it? Well, no, <laughs> <laughs> right, but you know, maybe there's an alternative. You can buy it out or something, you know, right, mm-hmm. you know. So, right. um, yeah. come ask. It's much easier to talk about it up front than try and hide you know, it try, later. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate that. As far as you know, we there we are. We have a lot of sideboards and regulations that we have to live in. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, yep. we're, we're trying to navigate that as NRCS folks and rely, uh, rely, relaying that on to producers and, and trying to get that to work. And mm-hmm. so I do appreciate, you know, you saying that, Nick, and, yeah. and things. And, um, you know, again, we're, we're here for to help, you know, as yep. far as isn't that the scariest thing we're from the government we're here to help as well. <laughs> but, but if there's questions please you know Look, come in people don't go and work in the government office because they're going to get really far in their career and right. rule the world that's not yeah. why people are working the nrcs because they love conservation they love the outdoors they appreciate local farmers you know that that's why they're there and yeah. uh yeah they're they're here for you and we are also here for you and speaking of being here for you, uh, do not forget we are on track with hitting either 10,000 uh, yards or 150 acres, whatever comes first, of pollinator. Um, we are selling just up until November 10 for this fall, and then next, uh, everything else will have to be shipped out in the spring for planting. So if you're wanting to get on this fall, make sure you check out our website, theprairiefarm.com, mm-hmm. or you can hoxie native seeds has a link there um but yeah we really really appreciate having you today matt yeah, thanks, it has guys. been so this awesome was fun Definitely. yeah for sure my first one and it was fun it was you fun did, yeah you it aced fun. it we gotta yeah. have it back <laughs> man guys can you believe that is this first one well we 
are going to end it there. I'm trying to think. I don't have Well, notes. you know, if you do have some CRP or you know somebody who's considering it and they need to get it planted, it's a sizable piece, uh, maybe some old production ground coming out. Um, do remember, we sell the world's best CRP planner as designed by our founder, Carol Hawksbergen. And uh, you can also get over to the website. Uh, there's actually a YouTube video kind of going through the, the planner. And uh, there's another video where uh, Steve DeYoung, who was a podcast guest recently, uh, kind of takes through, uh, says what he liked about using the planner and everything. And Carol explains some of the features on it. Uh, but it'd be a great buy for you to help uh, get that prairie planted. Also, uh, um, uh, you know, something we rent too if you're local so make sure you check that out as well and uh live close to the land because conservation happens one yard at a time